It's time to make the dough rise, the financial podcast with Brian Doe. Hello and welcome to another edition of Make the Dough Rise. I'm Walter Storholt, and this is the show that's going to help you get a little bit smarter when it comes to your financial life as we talk retirement and things to know about your financial future. Alongside Brian Doe, certified financial planner at Living Worth Wealth Advisors, serving you in the Lake Country and beyond with an office in Greensboro, Georgia. You can find us online at livingworth.com. As you know, Brian brings more than two decades of experience in the financial services industry to the table each and every episode and has been a practicing certified financial planner since 2013. We have a great show for you today. Not only are we going to be bringing in Brian in just a moment, but we have two special guests on the show today as well. Jamal, returning guest back from episodes 26 and 27, Jamal Mahmood, uh, Director of Insurance of Main Street Financial Services. And we're also going to have Mike Minter joining us as well, one of the founding members of Main Street Financial, a 20-year veteran in the business. And I've also been uh, handed a note here from our producer, Andrea, that uh, we have some good-natured skeptics in the crew today, along with some good-natured optimists in the crew. And so uh, we'll see if you can identify who those are as we go through the program today. Uh, but it's, the conversation today is inspired really by what has happened over the past year. Uh, we've been printing money. The latest stimulus package is out. There have been a lot of changes in the financial world. And Brian, we'll bring you in to get things started today. You wanted to bring this roundtable together of experienced advisors in the Main Street financial team to have a discussion about what you guys are concerned about for your clients, um, what needs to be focused on here in the near future, what are some solutions and things that can be done. So I'm glad you've brought these great minds together in Mike and Jamal, and uh, I'm looking forward to your guys' kind of roundtable discussion today. Yeah, I've, I have definitely brought in the heavyweights today, and, and this is a good chance to, to highlight to clients and prospective clients the structure that we have at Main Street, where we have you know a, a number of advisors, all certified financial planners and, and tenured advisors, but we do get together and have discussions about topics that impact our clients and things that you know, best practices. And so this is a, you know, this, this modern monetary theory that we're going to talk about today is something that we've had discussions about. And yeah, uh, Mike and I may have, we're, we're, we're going to express our personal opinions, but also it, it's a, a somewhat exploratory, uh, none of us are experts on this. We're, we're definitely trying to, to figure this out and make sense of it ourselves so that we can then, you know, do the best things for our clients in the future. And let's introduce everybody to the voices of uh, each person so we can familiarize ourselves with who's talking as we go through the show. Jamal, most folks will be familiar with your voice since you joined us a couple of episodes back, but uh, hope you are doing well today. And thanks for being back on the show with us. It's a pleasure, Walter and Brian. Thanks very much for having me back. Absolutely. And uh, Mike, your first time on the show, so please say hello to everybody. Yes. Thanks for having me, Walter and Brian. Jamal, uh, look forward to it. One good <laughs> thing. One good thing, Brian, everybody has a distinct voice on today's show, so it won't be hard to figure out who's talking. Sometimes you listen to a show and everybody's voice sounds very similar and it's hard to tell who's saying what, but I think we all have a bit of a distinct voice on today's show, so that should be helpful. So Maybe we could form a barbershop quartet at the end of this. <laughs> We've tried singing go. on this show before, Brian. We have, it, uh, yes. It, it, did, it did not get great reviews. I think it was responsible for a few one-star reviews of the podcast, so we should be careful <laughs> yeah, going back that route. 
If you want to lose viewers, have me sing for them. <laughs> well, Brian, why don't you launch us off today? Um, you mentioned the words and, and the initials MMT, Modern Monetary Theory. I know this is a subject that you've been getting really into lately and has to do a lot with some of these issues and problems that you're looking to solve for uh, that have occurred over the past year. We've talked about this in the past, and I think we did an episode called The Worst Idea Ever, uh, just in case anybody has any wanting any perspective on where I've stood on this issue in the past, because um, uh, I do have some concerns about it. But the idea of modern monetary theory is uh, that we have to look at government spending differently. And the best, uh, I mean, I'm lifting this from a Planet Money podcast, but they said it's like an optical illusion. Sometimes you look at the picture and you see two faces looking at each other. And other times you look at the center and you see the wine goblet. And as you change your focus or your perspective on, on the picture, you can just, by, by viewing it differently, you can come up with a very different approach, if you will, to government spending, taxation. And so a lot of the old rules were, or the old you know, beliefs were that Governments had to, you know, go out and raise taxes and and generate revenue so that they could then go decide what projects they wanted to spend on. And it used to be that way, Brian. It used to be, but it's a different regime now. Oh, we're we're get, we're getting there. So the the new yeah. regime is now now we can just spend first, <laughs> almost unlimitedly, and we'll just tax later. Is that does that sound right, Jamal? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you gave a good introduction there, Brian. MMT is new to all of us, but it's something that kind of makes sense uh, to me. So I'm going to share what I've learned about it and what why I feel like it's uh, it's not as crazy as uh, some people think. But um, what, what was I, the funny quote you, you you mentioned earlier? Oh, this, this is a good one. the The government doesn't need uh, the taxpayers' money. The taxpayers need the government's money. And I know that's a, a provocative comment to a lot of people, but if you think about it, uh, it's literally true. Uh, dollars are created by the U.S. government. If the government didn't spend that money into existence, it wouldn't exist. Uh, we'd be reliant on uh, banknotes that uh, we had back in the 1800s or gold or some other sort of currency that uh, was not nearly as good and as enabling a, uh, a growing economy as a centralized fiat currency has been for the United States. So for the majority of history, it has been what you were talking about, that it's the government has to tax its citizens in order to fund its expenditures. But uh, uh, but things work very differently now, and it's uh, it's important to, to understand the differences. So, so Mike, how does that, that sound to you? What, what, what could possibly go wrong? Well, it, it sounds to me like you can get away with it for a little while, and obviously we, we, we have to some extent. But the problem I have with MMT is once you start, you really can't stop. And uh, when you have a fiat currency that is not backed by anything, you know, I, I, I try to keep it simple. And, uh, you know, it's just supply and demand. So the more money you print over time, the less that money in your pocket is going to be worth. So, How have we been doing on that for so far, though, uh, Mike, uh, with inflation? How has that been the last 10 years, 10, 15 years? Yeah, well, it, ha it hasn't shown up yet because there are a lot of deflationary forces. I mean, the other side of what we're doing with creating all of this money is creating a whole lot of debt. And we continue to do that. And debt is a deflationary force. And so that is offsetting it. But 
again, one of the things with MMT is you need to continue to do it and you need to do it in larger and, and bigger sizes like we have been. And uh, now we're at a point where I believe that we can't get out of it. The Fed has pretty much painted themselves in a quarter. And now, you know, they asked for fiscal help and they're getting it. And, you know, we'll, we'll see. I'm not saying that it has to happen right away, although I would argue that we are starting to see some signs of inflation already. But if they even tried to stop right now, everything that they've tried to create with this would, would, would fall apart. Mike, I'm giving you a, 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 an intentionally hard time. Mike and I are friends, so uh, don't take our back and forth uh, too seriously. But Mike, it sounds like there's a lot of uh, boogeymen right around the corner, but uh, w- there's not a real clear definition of anything bad that is going to happen if we keep spending or a rationale for why. I, I think that's one of the, the core things that uh, proponents of MMT are, are realizing and advocating. Yeah, and and I would agree with you, but it, it kind of goes back to what I was alluding to, and that is, once you start, and we've started since basically the financial crisis, uh, and things don't break, well, then you kind of continue to do it, and you'll be you'll you'll do it unabated, and you know, you last year we. We had been running three, uh, through trillion-dollar deficits, and then last year we were over $3 trillion. Now, granted, we were going through a pandemic, um, and everything was kind of a bridge to the vaccine, is what we were told. And now the vaccines are here, and in the next couple of months, most adults will, will most likely get vaccinated. And, you know, we did a $900 billion stimulus package in December. We just passed another one9 and you know we could do another trillion to two trillion in infrastructure so this is kind of the point to where we are so comfortable with it that we are just really going full steam ahead and you know this this is where the problems may start showing uh going into the end of this year and next year yeah, and I was I was doing some research, and it looked like back in like 2011 is where the debt market got unhinged from what we know is reality. Uh, Bill Gross was the big uh, bond king, uh, managed about two trillion dollars in various funds at Pimco, and at one point he totally exited government bonds. He thought, you know, we've we've got all this debt, we've got too many bonds out there, rates are going to have to rise in order for the federal government to continue to issue more debt. And so he literally took all of their uh, funds out of uh, treasury bonds. And to his amazement, and I think to everyone's amazement, rates did not go up. And he actually had to issue a mea culpa and say, hey, I got it wrong. And they added uh, treasuries back to all the, the PIMCO funds. So there's, it's really been since the financial crisis in 2011 that this, this has happened. It's been before that, right? I mean, it, our crazy deficit spending did not, it didn't start during the financial crisis. So that was certainly a point where it, it, it kind of picked up after the, the 2000s, but certainly in the 80s, we had uh, a lot of deficit spending. Uh, the highest our deficit and our, our debt ever were was uh, after World War II. None of those situations created uh, the horrible scenarios that everybody is, uh, is, is looking at. And that's, and, and really, that's the whole premise of MMT is that 
all of the people who think that the sky is falling when uh, the debt and the deficit uh, go higher, uh, maybe we ought to look at what's actually happening instead of what people are afraid is going to happen and say, well, maybe there's something different going on here. Maybe it's like you said, you got to look at the two faces, uh, the optical illusion a little differently, and maybe you'll see it for something different. Undoubtedly, you could argue that what got us out of the Great Depression was the massive spending and stimulus that mm-hmm. they had to do for World War II. I don't think that's in doubt. That's exactly what it was. Exactly and and, and it touched off a great, it touched off a, a multi-decade period of prosperity in America. The other thing is, though, yes, we were in a war. And then once we got through that war, we, you know, went back to fiscal responsibility and we didn't just keep going with it. And this is kind of what I was talking about before. We are very comfortable doing what we're doing right now, and we are not going to stop. And if you think markets are free, and if you think that interest rates would be here without what we're doing, and you think the stock market would be at these levels, all you have to do is stop doing what we're doing. And we will see where real prices and real interest rates go. And I can guarantee you, they won't even be close to where they are today. I would say MMT definitely, uh, from what I understand from it, it definitely agrees with you, Mike, on the fact that if you don't deficit spend, if you don't inject money into the economy, then it's not going to be good for the economy. In fact, most of the time, if you go and, and look back at history from what I've seen, it's periods of fiscal surpluses that precede uh, drops. Um, in one of the one of the works that I read by a, an economist called Stephanie Kelton. She talks about how the Clinton years, when we were talking about how great his budget surpluses were, uh, it actually helped set up a lot of uh, tight money afterwards. So definitely the deficit spending is considered to be stimulative. But the whole premise of MMT is that people who think of the government kind of like a household, uh, they think and they see, well, the government is being irresponsible, we're spending too much money, you know, we're tossing around these big numbers, we're spending an extra trillion dollars that we don't have. But the reality is that we produce these dollars, the government is the originator of dollars, we can produce them and the deficits themselves, they're completely harmless. They become harmful when they start producing inflation. But our problem has been the opposite. Our problem has been deflation and risk of and not enough inflation. So we're so far away from the problem, it's almost like running away from an oncoming train when the train is, is uh, you know, three miles away. It doesn't make sense. So we're, we're jumping the gun with our, with our concerns. Well, I would be careful saying that uh, we're, we're, we're not even close because there are a lot of examples even today with commodity prices, which relates to food, have been going up. Energy prices are going up. Uh, education, healthcare, real estate, asset prices. There are a lot of things. Bitcoin. There are mm. a lot of things going up right now. And this is also the unintended consequences of what the Fed is doing. We have wealth inequality that is at its widest margin ever. And yeah. as the more they print, it correlates with asset prices going up. And the rich are getting richer. And, you know, we, if, as we continue to do this and we continue to hit record highs and you see the Jeff Bezos of the world, you know, making another uh, couple billion every year, the bottom 50% that don't have assets and start seeing that, that inflation at some point as we keep creating dollars, if it uh, I don't think they're going to like it too much. Right. Yeah. 
that, that's that's hard to argue with. I do agree with that. I would say, from our uh, from the MMT perspective, it, the question is where the how the dollars get into the economy. So and 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 certainly the wealth, the the gap between the rich and the poor, which is getting higher, and the inflating asset prices that you you note, that's a consequence that everybody would want to uh, find a way to avoid. But one positive thing for MMT for this is what you do then is if you inject money into the economy from the bottom, uh, maybe by supporting low-income communities or you support uh, education and th- or infrastructure or things that are going to impact the general population, uh, that's a way of building that part of the country up. And, and in a way, that'll be more preferable, uh, certainly politically preferable, to uh, to raising taxes too high on uh, the 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 upper echelon of of income earners. Um, if you think about it, there's two ways you can go about it. You can deficit spend and get money into the bottom of the economy, or you can start taxing the rich at 60, 70 percent. I'd rather do the first thing. Yeah, and you know what? I would tend to agree with you there, but this kind of goes back to you know what I was talking about before. Uh, you know, we haven't had the inflation yet. Because we are, you know, buying the, doing the asset purchases and taking on additional debt. But if you start doing the, the, the helicopter money and just start, you know, giving it to people, and I know a lot of people are hurting right now. I'm not saying that, you know, we shouldn't be helping them out. We should be. Um, but, you know, a lot of these programs have been geared towards the, 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 the people with assets. If we kind of reverse that, and and do what you're talking about that is going to put a lot more money in the hands of people that don't have the discretionary money to spend and you will have a lot of money chasing the same amount of goods and you will start seeing prices rise and and let me just uh interject Jamal correct me if if there's things to add to this but there are some preconditions that have to exist to be able to successfully apply modern monetary theory. And those are, by, by my extensive research of listening to a couple of other podcasts, <laughs> uh, the country has to have its own currency, right? Yeah. They, it's like you said, they, they have yeah. to have this fiat currency and they, they don't borrow in another currency. So right. When, it's very, very different, very, very different story between the United States government and even a huge company like Amazon or the state of New York, or California, or even a country like Greece. None yep. of those places make their own currency. The United States government does, the United Kingdom does, Japan does, EU does. So those are all uh, privileged positions as current currency issuers. Okay, so that's that's condition number one. Yeah. The the second condition has to be that if you're going to stimulus spend, mm. uh, you have to have the resources and or the production capacity to produce what is actually purchased. Yeah, I I would say that if the stimulus spending or the deficit spending that occurs uh, results in productive activity, then my understanding is if it's done that way, then the national wealth rises in uh, proportion with the amount of dollars in circulation. uh, And then it's not going to be inflationary. If you have uh, a situation where, as Mike was putting it, with helicopter money, right? If you spend money into the the economy in a way that kind of ruins the value of the currency for people where it becomes almost like you guys have taken your kids to Chuck E. Cheese, I'm sure, where they have the the uh, the tickets that they give out. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. If, if it gets Cheese, to that point, it. yeah, 
<laughs> if it gets to if it gets to that point, obviously, where where uh, the the dollars are viewed that way, then you're you're ruining the currency, and and the the currency system is a very important utility for fueling economic growth. But you're not ruining the currency if you take you know if if, if you have a situation where uh, we need to refresh our infrastructure and we deficit spend in order to, f- to, to fix that infrastructure. Or if you see that there's a large segment of the population that needs job retraining in order to have skills that are ready for a 21st century ec- economy and you deficit spend in order to provide those people with an education. It, what's really going on there, and this is where the optical illusion part again kind of reinserts itself, what you're really doing is you're taking unproductive resources, so people that wouldn't otherwise be having jobs, people that are maybe commuting to work uh, slower or on worse, or they're communicating on worse uh, internet broadband cables or things like that, and you are injecting money in the, into the economy and really improving the real wealth of the country. And that's why it's not inflationary. That's why it's something that it's, it's so important to do. In fact, the deficit is that if we don't spend it, then you have a deficit on the real things, which is, you know, the, the real life things. The, the, the dollars are just points on a scoreboard. So long as the assets or, or the, the stimulus is used for productive resources or yes. things that do enhance the, the, the national wealth, uh, you know, I, I would agree with that. My concern becomes, do we really think the government is the best person to decide what are going to be the most productive assets uh, or what are going to be the most productive resources? And yeah, I, I'm not I, I'm not one of these people that thinks that the government just wastes everything. There are some things that they do well, but uh, but certainly you don't want to put them in sole charge of of that and uh you you know we we have a long tradition of respecting the decisions of uh, of of private businesses and private individuals so uh but even if the government spends the money into the economy first you got you just got to keep in mind they're the originator of it so if if it's spent into the economy and they make a poor decision initially that money is still in the economy then, and then it gets into somebody else's hands, a private person or a private business's hands that can in turn go around and make a private spending decision about what to do with, uh, with that money. Okay. So, so, and, and, let, me, and let me get the third point that I had on, on you know, what the, the preconditions are for, for actually implementing MMT. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, the final point would be is that as you're injecting money, as you're creating additional money, the issue of taxation gets reversed. We're not taxing to spend. We're just taxing to now pull money out of the system in case inflation gets, you know, uh, hits you the it. radar. And, and, and so taxation becomes the vehicle to regulate and, and monitor yep. what might be the adverse consequences of MMT. The thinking goes that the government does not need, the government doesn't need a dollar of our money. And I know this is going to sound uh, surprising to some people, but the government doesn't need a single dollar of our money in order to function. Uh, The government has all the money that it needs to do everything it's currently doing and more. Um, So obviously people who are paying high tax bills are going to say, well, why, why are they uh, making me send in my, my uh, IRS forms every year? Well, one of the reasons that they'll do that is for distribution. Another reason they'll do it is because it gives the currency value. The fact that they charge taxes on it is one of the things that makes a currency something that you have to go out and earn. And I've got an interesting story for you about this uh, in just uh, a minute. Another one is having a tax can help the government reward or disincentivize certain behaviors. So things like a carbon tax or a cigarette tax 
those are things that they can do to discourage a certain thing or encourage a certain thing, just like even with 401k contributions. They can't force you to save for retirement, but they can incentivize you to do it. Well, if they would go uh, to a policy of not taking any of my dollars in taxes, I could I could be a convert. <laughs> there you go. That, that is That's the our joke <laughs> that I'll use with clients. It's just, you know what? If we're going to do MMT, let, let's go all the way. Go all in. You know, yeah. Let's, yeah. Let's, let's print a couple trillion more and none of us have to pay taxes anymore. Put, put an extra but, couple but, zeros but, on my yeah. bank account and I'm in. Right. I, I, yeah, I, but, I, you know, but this, but this also goes back to, you know, what, why MMT can't work is because, you know, once you have inflation, it kind of destroys that theory. And when we talk about the government administering it, you know, with the Fed, who's supposed to be independent, but basically buying all of our debt, so it doesn't really seem like they're that independent because they're almost encouraging us to do it. You look at two other areas that the government's already got their, their, their foot in the door, and that's, you know, healthcare with Medicare and Medicaid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've seen how healthcare costs have been over the last Agreed. couple of decades. They're skyrocketing. The other area is uh, education with their student loans. And now tuition is going through the roof. So, Mm -hmm. you know, they they don't have a very good track record. And we also, uh, the the one I would add to that, Mike, would be social security benefits. Those aren't necessarily uh, driving a specific type of inflation, but once these programs get created, spending is easy. Spending is fun because that gets your popularity ratings up, that gets your approval ratings up, and that gets you reelected. And I think the real weak link in this, Jamal, is that Dependent on politicians and and raising taxes to stop adverse consequences, it's not a politically popular thing to do. They can't cut Social Security. They can't cut Medicare benefits. They they right. have to either keep printing the money or raise taxes to pay for those things. And so I don't know how you un disconnect the dirty work from the the hands of politicians who have to remain popular. Oh, I agree. I agree. Couple of, uh, I want to give you the example that I was thinking of that uh, I think will be interesting to listeners. But before I do, one of the, again, the, the point is not that MMT argues for printing money without any sort of discipline or, uh, or paying attention to inflation or anything like that. The point is that we stop far too early. Um, the argument is that the deficits that we have run have typically been too small. Uh, and we have a lot more room and a lot more slack in the economy for more deficit spending. And when we don't do it, we are leaving significant real consequences on the table. There is a, The deficit is in the things that can be done for, uh, for citizens and that really impact people's lives. And if you go back to what happened last time we had significant inflation in this country, uh, it was in the, the late 70s and the early 80s, uh, where most of us were not... Uh, out in the economy at that time. I was a, I was a kid, uh, but I've certainly read about it and I, I have a good understanding of what happened um, from having uh, uh, researched it. But basically what the Federal Reserve did was they obliterate inflation, uh, but they did such a good job of it that they cost a lot of people jobs in the process. And people have been asking, well, was that really worth it? Did we need inflation to be uh, so low uh, pretty much for, for 40 years after they did that? In the meantime, there were there were uh, breadwinners who never got back into the workforce that uh, may have had, you know, it affected their kids, it affected social programs, because then those people end up going 
on the you know on the welfare rolls, uh, and you can see the consequences of that as well with regard to to people. Uh, again, the the difference between the rich and the poor that was very much something that played into that. It protected financial assets. It did not protect families. So we should not be. It's again, it's not that we're we're advocating for being irresponsible with the currency, but what we're doing is we're pointing out the fact that the defense mechanism against inflation that you know i'm not putting this on on the two of you but that the the philosophy that uh, that the two of you are kind of arguing for here the defense mechanism is a wall of unemployed people and that's pretty unethical if you think about it yeah right? i just don't know how the fed printing money is going to create jobs i mean yes it can get the economy going for a little bit but when you continue to do what we've been doing, you distort asset prices. So it kind of gets back to my, uh, what I was talking about earlier of just how are we going to get out of this? Yeah. So the longer we keep doing this, the yeah. longer we keep distorting prices. And then, yeah, you know what? Maybe we do create some some new jobs and then we try to stop doing it and then everything falls apart. That that's where I'm struggling. It, let me let me give you my dad bucks example. So we talked about this, Brian. I shared with you what I what I did mm -hmm. with my kids. I'd love yeah, to share it with my list with your listeners. So uh, a couple of years ago, I realized that my kids were spending too much time on video games and when they could have been doing some more stuff with their studies or helping out around the house. Uh, my wife uh, takes a harder line and she'll just say, "Well, you know what? You have to do this, right?" And they'll listen to her, but my kids don't really listen to me the way they do my wife. So I have to be a little bit more creative you're, with you're it. You're too nice, Jamal. Uh, I am. <laughs> I am. But what I did was I bought a um, a roll of uh, of fake currency. They sell them on Amazon. You get a uh, a roll of uh, of fake dollars in uh, ones, fives, tens, twenties, and hundreds. Uh, and I started handing them out to my kids for doing uh, work around the house. And I would say, okay, well, look, you do you do this for five bucks. Get off that uh, the Xbox, and why don't you go read for ten bucks? And that ended up working. So you created a dad bucks system. You you created your own currency within your household. And yeah. And so now the the kids are responding to the dad bucks, and it's yeah. it's, it's essentially monopoly money. But what what's the real value of it? What's it backed by? It is backed by my promise to accept it for uh, for things that the kids need from me. That's what it's backed by. But the reason that it works is because I'm able to issue it to get the kids to do things that would be productive for them. And if I don't issue that currency, then the time that they spend not doing things uh, is lost. It's kind of a silly example to compare my household in that regard uh, to the United States. But basically, that is very much what MMT is talking about, that you've got People out there that are not doing things, there are real real resources that can be developed and so forth. And all you have to do is create the currency to incentivize people to, uh, to, to make changes in their lives. And it doesn't have negative consequences unless you overdo it. And we are far from overdoing it. Yeah, I think that's a good point, too, is if, if you're encouraging people to do productive things, whether it's picking up trash or you know some kind of yeah. uh, anything that's productive in the community would be good. I, I just have a problem with the idea that we're just sending checks to everyone. And well, we're not sending checks to everybody. We're, we're requiring, notice with the dad bucks example, I'm not handing out that money to the kids for nothing. I'm getting something for it. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's probably the biggest thing that we want to insist that the government does. It's not that they don't deficit spend, it's that they just shouldn't be giving out checks for nothing, right? Mm -hmm. 
I certainly think that if we were to, you know, I, I don't know how you guys would feel about this, but I don't have any problem with the government giving out scholarships for people who are going to go out and get training for jobs, that it's going to make them more productive uh, so that we leave a better society to our children. Um, a, a more educated citizenry uh, is a wealth that everybody shares. But to Mike's point earlier, the government has been very involved in grants, loans, uh, mm-hmm. And, and subsidizing those types of things. Bailouts. As, as, bailouts. And as far yeah. as I can tell, tuition's gone through the roof, and we've, we've got a generation of people coming out with degrees that aren't getting them the jobs that they were once promised or assumed that you would get from a bachelor's That's, degree. Uh, that part is difficult uh, when you have the government making those uh, decisions. I agree with that. I think it really kind of goes back to sort of a voucher. Like you could you could have a voucher for education, and then it's, you know, put it on the people to decide how best I think to spend that. that. And then some, some people yeah. will do productive things with it and some won't. But when you, when you favor one type of, you know, like a bachelor's degree uh, over uh, maybe vocational or, or, or some type of skills training that, that to me, that's where it kind of breaks down. Yeah. What about, what do you guys think about the, uh, the, all the PPP loans? Cause to me that was interesting because it was very much, a real world demonstration of of MMT, but it was uh, even I felt you know it was a little controversial because you saw businesses maybe getting it that didn't need it. But to the extent that you saw businesses that were assets in their communities, and you know again businesses that were productive parts of their communities, especially these restaurants and things like that, uh, and they were of course providing jobs and and uh, and livelihoods to their owners. I would argue that it was very important that we we deficit spend in that case because you're literally saving assets that would be ruined otherwise. I mean, it's the same thing with the cruise lines and the airlines. If we take the opinion that, well, those are private businesses and they, they, you know, they should, uh, uh, we can't afford to bail them out. Well, then we lose a whole bunch of those airlines, uh, and those cruise lines and those restaurants. Uh, and then you have to have new ones start afterwards. And in the meantime, what are the people that, that depended on those do? Yeah, and, and you would have bankrupted a lot of small business owners or, or, or large businesses, like you said, that if left to their own, they would have gone under. You know, it would probably take decades to get back to normal. So I, I have mixed emotions about the PPP loans because I think that a, a huge portion of them were necessary, helpful. It, it rescued us at a time that we needed it. But then the, on the flip side, yeah, there were a lot of people, a lot of businesses that got loans that didn't need them, and yeah. I, I, I'm not even going to start on the stories that I've, I've heard. Oh, I've, I've, some I've, of that money I've, ended up. I've, I've, I've heard some too. I agree with you, um, but the, uh, but the government is the, the backstop. It's like the lender of last resort, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and they have the. We need them to do that. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it worked. I think it was, it was, it was necessary, yeah. but. I do too, and 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 I'm not going to go into a tangent either with a lot of the fraud that uh, that that that's going to has started to come out, and I'm sure will continue to come out with that program. But uh, as far as saving small business, uh, that that made a lot of sense. You know, I I would disagree a little bit with the airlines and the billions that we continue to give them, and you know that's. That's really because, you know, look at what was happening even before the crisis got here. You know, they were making boatloads of money and they were taking all of that money and buying back their stock. So, you know, you're going to bail out these executives 
that made these decisions and then a rainy day comes and you know they're counting on the taxpayers to to bail them out and not yeah. only that I, I i don't think people really understand the bankruptcy laws i mean i'm not an expert but i i've read enough that you know if uh they they were going to let those airlines go bankrupt it's not like all of those planes and everything just go to waste you know, yeah. somebody is going to buy them out of bankruptcy and somebody is going to hire those people back and yep. it's going to be a new regime running the company. And that's probably what should happen. Probably not a bad thing. That's a, a strong argument, I think. If I could kind of shift gears to a, a, a practical question here, because I know, uh, Brian, a lot of your listeners are thinking of what this means for their, uh, their portfolio. Probably the most important takeaway that I have uh, from this that I share with my clients is that um, people should have an open mind with regard to what all of this spending means uh, for uh, for things going going forward. Certainly, it's a big topic in investment circles, uh, all of this uh, spending and the deficits and so forth. Uh, but I think uh, the average investor should at least be somewhat aware uh, that there's a range of opinions with regard to what that could mean going forward. Um, there are some people like uh, MMT proponents are going to think that it really might not have as big an impact as, as some people think. And of course, there, are, there have always been people who think that it's going to have going to kind of function as a bill that comes due at some point, and then the markets are going to have to pay for it. So what, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, and let, let, let's do this maybe because we could probably go on all day about this if you, uh, if you let us. But I'll I'll tell you what my response is and what I'm suggesting to my clients, and then if if you all want to do the same, that that may be a good practical point and, yeah. and takeaway. And and so what, as I look at all of this, if the risk is inflation, right, what could go wrong? Inflation could be could be one, and if the mechanism for pulling money out of the system is taxes, well, who's going to pay those taxes? It's going to be me and my clients and your clients. And overwhelmingly, if you look at the uh, statistics on what e evil 1% or like an 80-20 Pareto distribution, you know, 20% of the people pay 80% of the taxes. Well, that bill, that burden is going to fall on my clients. Mm -hmm. And so the things I'm doing today are encouraging them, them to buy assets that could adjust to inflation and begin to uh, structure things into accounts that would avoid or potentially reduce taxes in the future, like Roth IRAs or assets that they can buy and hold or hard assets like uh, you know, land or, or, or commodity type assets that would be- Or, you know, or, Bitcoin, or Bitcoins. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, I'm I was just gonna kidding. say we, we can't get to the end of this without at least bringing up Bitcoin one time. Yeah, so. we we so, did yeah. it. We checked it off. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So, so I the, couldn't those... help myself earlier. No. <laughs> so th that's that's what I'm I'm doing. And uh, Jamal, Mike, do you want to yeah. add anything to that? Mike, you want to go? Yeah. Well, I I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head, Brian. I mean, I'm I'm doing a lot of the same things. I do believe in the Federal Reserve and what they say, and I don't think they're going to allow deflation to happen. And Congress is so comfortable yeah. now with the money printing that they are stepping on the gas pedal. So I do think the immediate, uh, not immediate, but over the next couple of years, the concern for me is definitely inflation and knowing that as we continue to run these deficits, that 
you know, the, you, you can already see the Congress and, and some Democrats talking about uh, wealth taxes and, you know, and I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong. I'm just saying as we continue to build these debts, they are going to come after the people with assets at some point. So yeah, converting into Roth IRAs, if they can get money into Roths and the 401ks, if they're still working, I'm with you there. Where, where I'm concerned is, you know, if inflation does get here and it's running a little hotter than uh, the Fed's comfortable with, how are we going to deal with that? Yes, we can tax, but even if we tax, there's not enough rich people to tax to mm-hmm. balance budgets at this point. Yep. Um, you know, and with all the debt, you can't raise interest rates, which is pretty much normally what you would think of to uh, to, to combat inflation. That's what we did in the late 70s. Uh, so I, I, I think we have a real problem. And even if we try to address it at that point, I think with all the debt out there, we could go into a serious deflationary spiral. And, you know, I, I, I think the Fed is so scared to death of that, that, you know, uh, inflation's probably going to be here to stay for a little while. It's important to point out the policymakers are trying to avoid deflation and they're actively trying to provoke inflation. They want inflation. Right, uh, a, a moderate amount, a moderate, a, a, a moderate amount of inflation, and so really, what we're, what we're, one of the most important questions is, can they do that successfully? I, I think they can. The tools and the understanding that they have at their disposal is so much greater now than it was in the '70s. Even if you think about how computers and data and statistics and all those things, we didn't have any of those things in the '70s and '80s to the extent that we have them now. We certainly didn't have them during the Great Depression. Uh, there's a lot of lessons that we've learned uh, and a lot of things that we can do. So I do have faith that they can target inflation, kind of keep it uh, at, a, at a reasonable level. Uh, and if they do that, a little bit of inflation is, I always emphasize this to my clients, a little bit of inflation is a good thing. Uh, it erodes the value of debts. It's stimulative for the economy. Um, and uh, a little inflation is, is uh, most people will say that's what we want. Inflation has been too low the last 20 years. Uh, and uh, it's probably one of the reasons why the you've seen a bit of the, it's probably contributed to the wealth gap uh, in a negative way. But I do think just like uh, the two of you were mentioning about, uh, uh, about being concerned about future tax rates as well, those two things are things that everybody's clients need to be worried about. You, ha- you have to be uh, cognizant of the fact that tax rates could shift uh, not in our favor. They usually fall more heavily on our types of clients, people with assets and people with higher incomes. Uh, and we've been telling people for years to watch out for inflation and that and that's why you need to have a diversified portfolio. And that certainly doesn't change now. It's more true now than ever. So I think the most important thing is to under, to keep an open mind, but it uh, just shows all the different things that can happen and we just have to be ready for anything. Yeah, I think you just prepare for the worst and hope for the best. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, Diversification is definitely going to be key. Indeed. Well, Walter, has that uh, that been enlightening? You want to bring us on home or any final? Very enlightening. Really enjoyed uh, the back and forth and appreciate the different perspectives and uh, and the friendly barbs back and forth as well. <laughs> no, I, I think it was great to have all those elements in the show today and uh, really appreciate your guys' uh, perspective on this issue. I think it's something that's very interesting to think about and 
something that uh, the conversation certainly doesn't stop today either. It'll be something we continue to uh, kind of debate and learn more about as uh, the financial landscape around us shifts more and more. Uh, As for those of you listening to the show today, hope you enjoyed the conversation as well. I want to invite you, if you have questions about this, or if you're wanting to maybe see how these potential risks that we've talked about on the show today might affect you, uh, how you can start to prepare your portfolios and your retirement plans to create income, to create a plan that is self-reliant for your retirement and your financial future, invite you to book a call with Brian. Uh, It's a 15-minute introductory call just to find out if uh, some of these potential risks do affect you and how you can best prepare. Uh, You can do that a couple of different ways. One is to go to livingworth.com and just click on book a call. Again, that's livingworth.com. Or you can check the show notes of today's episode for a link as well. And if you want to do it the old-fashioned way, you can always call and schedule that as well. 706-451-9800 is the number. That's 706-451-9800. Well, Brian, Jamal, Mike, thanks to the three of you again for the discussion today. Enjoyed it. And I have a feeling we're going to have to reunite this roundtable again on a future episode. This was fun. Yeah, we'll be happy to. That sounds great. Awesome. It was fun. Thanks, guys. Great being with all of you. And uh, thanks for listening to the show today. We'll talk to you next time right back here on Make the Dough Rise. Make the Dough Rise is brought to you by Living Worth Wealth Advisors with a central office in Greensboro, Georgia, but serving the Lake Country and beyond. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your favorite podcasting apps. Subscribe today and never miss an episode. Just search for Make the Dough Rise with Brian Doe. You can also visit MakeTheDoughRise.com to listen to recent episodes. If you'd like to contact the show or schedule a complimentary financial review with Brian and the team, just go to MakeTheDoughRise.com and get in touch through the website. Or call 706-451-9800. Thanks for listening to Make the Dough Rise. Investment advisory services offered through Main Street Financial Solutions, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed.